the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thank you for tuning in. It's Monday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. You need only to call us, 210-340-9585 is our main number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Let me begin today. I got some stuff to talk about and I don't have a voice. So I apologize in advance for my voice. Um, just who knows, but my voice is about gone, but I didn't want to not do the show today. So um, please be patient with me. I got an email today from a good friend, a faithful listener in Austin, Texas. And here's what she wrote. She said, the door opened and there she was the love of your life. Everything changed in a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Celebrating with you, and then she signed it. Let me tell you what that's all about. Today is exactly 53 years ago when I went to Paula's house, knocked on the door, she opened it, and we fell crazy in love. Right at the beginning. I mean, she opened the door, and I just was head over heels. I think she was too. Um, That sounds cocky if I say it that way, but I mean, it was love at first sight for both of us. And what the listener wrote there is everything can change in an instant. I like to tell our church all the time that every day can be that day when something spectacular happens. Our lives can change forever. It can also be a day when bad things happen and our lives change forever. But every day we've got to be ready. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got to be with Jesus, and there's no telling what he will allow you to do. That day, I was a kid. Paula was a kid. She was still in high school. I was a freshman in college. I'd seen her the week before. She was cheerleading at a basketball game against my high school. She went to a different high school in the same area. And she was cheerleading, and I just went in to watch my best friend play basketball. And I saw her across the gym, and I had to have her phone number. So I got it. I called her on this Friday, March 20th, 1970. And I called her and I said, the the guy, his name was Larry, the guy who who got her number for me. I said, Larry told you I was going to call. And she said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm coming down into the area. And I, I think maybe we should go out tonight. And she said, oh, I can't. And I said, you can't. She goes, I have a date already. And thinking on my feet, I said, 
break it. I'll call back in 30 minutes. And I did and she did. And it has been, the, for us, the greatest love story ever. She is my friend. She's my lover. She's my partner. Ministry partner in every other facet of life. 53 years. People say love at first sight doesn't exist. Well, I promise you it did for us. Paula, I know you're listening. Been the best 53 years of my life, and except for the day that I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in February of 1991, that day, coming to your house and falling in love with you was the best day of my life. Thank you for that. Okay, let's get to some questions. Here is one, an anonymous one. Um, Pastor Ron, should Christians be doing more to oppose the mandates to support LGBTQ philosophy, especially in our school, to kids? Um, Anonymous, uh, there's nothing we can do. Um, You know, we have the right to vote. We have the right uh, to pray. Um, But this this barn door is open and the, the, the horses have run away. So this is something that we can't do anything about. Now, here's what you ought to be doing. You ought to be taking your kids out of public schools, period. I I don't understand. Now, I've never been, I need to say this, I've never been one who says Christian kids shouldn't go to public schools. In fact, I used to tell our church here all the time that public schools need Christian kids. Darkness needs the light. But I can't do that anymore. In these last five or so years, in these last five or so years, uh, all I can think about is they're trying to brainwash our kids, the peer pressure from other students. Um, They're indoctrinating them from very, very young ages, and they're doing it uh, without any shame or embarrassment at all. And so I really do believe, Anonymous, that it is time for... Christian parents to keep their children out of public schools, that one thing is the only possible way we could change things. If kids stop going to school, then that's going to affect them financially. It's going to affect the teacher's ability to make a living. So, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what you mean by should we be doing more. Get your kids out of those schools. There's no way a responsible parent can have their kids in a public school knowing what they're being taught. You're fighting a losing battle. I know people say, well, I can't afford to put my kids in private schools. What am I supposed to do? Well, we have a free Christian school. I mean, there are other opportunities. There are other possibilities. So just trust the Lord. Let him open some doors for you. Here's a question from Randy. He says, I'm afraid that I've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What is it and can I be forgiven? Randy, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is one of the most misunderstood um, things in our New Testament. I say all the time on this program that to understand Jesus' ministry, we have to understand the Jewishness of the ministry. Now, Jesus was talking to Jewish religious leaders. They had seen with their own eyes miracle after miracle after miracle, the casting out of demons. And when the people were rejoicing because demons were being cast out and people were being healed, the religious leaders then openly, publicly, accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of the devil. And, of course, Jesus went into his speech, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So, um, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, what he's talking about, these religious leaders who are accountable to God, these religious leaders denying the work that they've seen with their own eyes, and then what they're doing is attributing that work, the miraculous. They knew what the Christ would do when he came. These were Bible students. They knew the kind of miracles that Jesus would perform or that the Messiah, the Christ, would perform. So now they know it, they've seen it with their own eyes, and they're attributing the power of, or or the miracles, to the power of the devil. And Jesus is simply saying, back off. You're getting really close to committing blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
your heart is about to get as hard as it can possibly be. So in that context, Randy, and I know I get questions about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit regularly here. One of the things that we need to remember is that that kind of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is impossible for us to commit. Impossible for us to commit. So what does it mean? And, and there is a, an application for New Testament Christians. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said about him, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So when he convicts you of sin and you repent of righteousness in the person of Jesus Christ and judgment if you reject him, he's done his job. And if you reject him unto death, well, that is exactly when uh, you've, you've committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's dying in the condition of rejecting Jesus Christ while you are rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's the only way a Christian or, or somebody in, in the time that we live in, the only way we can commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to reject the working of the Holy Spirit unto death. We die in that condition, then we're going to go to hell forever and ever and ever. So, Randy, that's what he's talking about there. But it's not something that you said. It's not something that you may have done. All sins are forgiven except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't have anything to do with what you say about God because those sins are all able to be forgiven. So I hope that makes sense to you, Randy. Thank you very much. Do not worry about committing it. One other comment, you know, if you have committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't even care that you had committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The idea of, of wondering if you did it wouldn't even uh, uh, be possible because the result would be very simply that um, you wouldn't care at all. So no problem, Randy. Thank you very, very much. Marvin asks if someone says they believe that Jesus is who he said he was, but wants nothing to do with him, how should I respond? You know, there's nothing you can do, Marvin. When you've told them the truth, and the Holy Spirit has revealed to them the truth of your statements, they say, okay, I, I believe Jesus is God. I just don't want to sin. I don't want to serve him. Uh, there's nothing you can do. That's when you stop talking. Just tell him you don't. Eternity in hell is a long, long time, and that torment is going to be horrible. So, Marvin, understand that when people know what's right, and this sounds strange to us, but there's a lot of people that know who Jesus is and know what he's done, but they just don't want to stop sinning. And that is always and only the reason people reject Jesus Christ. It's not on an intellectual basis. It's not because they have philosophical differences. They don't want to stop sinning. And Jesus, when you're face to face with him, he says, come to me, but you got to leave your sin behind. you got to repent. And people don't want to do that. One of the comment on this, Marvin, it is sad to me that many Christians, many Christians, but people that are going to be in heaven, they would rather hold on to some sin rather than give it all to Jesus Christ and be set free and be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We like to sin. We're humans. We like to sin. So, Marvin, that's the only response. Just say nothing else uh, and let them know that you're always available if they want to respond to the truth. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. And we like your calls, especially today when my voice is so bad. Here is a question. This one is from Jonathan. He says, how can I discern between good and bad commentaries? Jonathan, this is a, a learning opportunity for you. Um, you know, when I was first saved, and I really was trying to dig in and find out all about this Bible. You know, I'd never opened a Bible before I got saved. And, and to think about a Bible, uh, the, the Word of God, and that's what Christian said it was. But I didn't understand how a Bible could be written by men and be written by God at the same time. 
So I didn't understand. So I did a lot of research. I mean, I did so much research. And one of the ways that God really used to, to teach me, to give me discernment, is that I was studying at a school of theology library. Had a great library, but they had more bad stuff than good stuff. And I remember those first few months in particular when I was studying there, Jonathan, I would spend more time disqualifying books than I would reading good books. Because I picked something up and the Spirit of God in me was just saying something like, you know this isn't right. And so I would do it. Now, there are always some proof texts that you can go to. Find a, a, a passage of Scripture that will that, that could be considered controversial. You know what it says. Uh, open to that uh, commentary and uh, determine whether or not that's a commentary that's worth listening to. But this whole idea of discernment, Jonathan, is really important. That is something that helps us to grow. It helps us really to... to um, know what's good fruit and what's bad fruit. And the only way we can do that is to go through the process. And I know the process is agonizing, but believe me, I learned so much from bad commentaries. And I learned what was true and what wasn't true, and I wasn't going to waffle on what I knew to be true. And so when I would open up a commentary, I'd be able to see. Now let me suggest a couple for you, Jonathan. There is a commentary series it's called the, the New International Commentary Series. F.F. F. Bruce is the general editor. I think personally that is the best commentary series on the New Testament um, that, that is out there. They also now have, I don't know if it's done yet, but they've also started a commentary series on the Old Testament. And I think it's really, really good. Uh, this this uh, New International Commentary Series it can be pricey, but I promise you it's worth it. Some of those uh, commentaries have been with me for the 32 years that I've been with Jesus, and, and they have, have really been used by the Lord to help me hone in on what I know to be true and stay away from that, which I know that isn't true. There's also anything written by John Phillips, anything written by uh, John R.W. Stott, um, uh, Ray Stedman and his stuff is free online. Uh, there's some really good stuff out there, but don't shy away from going out, uh, to, you know, picking out the bad in order to get to the good. I used to read Calvin's Institutes, and everybody who listens to this program for any length of time knows I'm as far from being a Calvinist as anybody uh, in the world. And yet, Calvin's Institutes were really good commentaries. If, if you get away from the soteriology, uh, believe me, there's some good stuff. John MacArthur is another one. His his soteriology is a mess, but his commentaries are really, really good, especially in the practical application of those passages of Scripture. So you need to learn to pick and choose, and, and, and the Lord and the Holy Spirit will really help you do that. And just put in the time and put in the work. And as you do it, I promise you, you will grow. And uh, you'll find some people that you're comfortable with. But don't be afraid to step out. Uh, there's a, a guy that I didn't want to read, uh, William H. Newell. And uh, finally, I dug in and I opened his commentary on the book of Hebrews. And I absolutely loved it. So I got his commentary on the book of Romans. I loved it. So don't be afraid to sort of stretch your comfort zone a little bit. There's a, an Old Testament guy, A.W. Pink, Arthur Pink, uh, and he's, he's a gleanings in Genesis, gleanings in Exodus, and so on. And uh, boy, those commentaries are wonderful. Now, I certainly don't subscribe to all of that which he says. He's sort of out there in the sense that he becomes pretty mystical. But boy, he'll give you a lot to think about. Those are really, really good commentaries. So Jonathan, I hope that helps. Here's a question from Pop. A guy by age shouldn't be calling somebody else Pop. <laughs> uh, can we know for sure if a loved one is in heaven? Pop, the only way we can know for sure is if we knew that they were born again. 
only born-again Christians are going to be in heaven. Uh, I have a, a mother who died uh, before I got saved. And I'm fearful that she's not in heaven. I hope. Uh, I certainly want her to be. But there was no evidence that I thought she was, of course, until I got saved. And then I thought, wait a minute. So I think these are important things, Pop. Learn um, what you can about the person you're talking about and pray. If you share Jesus with this person, um, you know, who knows, maybe at the last moment. One of the things that we really need to be careful about is assuming that just because we love somebody, they're automatically going to go into heaven. Or just because we're saved, they're automatically going to go to heaven. We need to rely on the grace of God. We need to rely on the fairness of God. And God wants people in heaven more than we do. So that's the only way you can know for sure. And if you're certain that this person is in heaven, then you can rejoice because you will see him and you will see her all over again. So good question, Pop. Thank you very much. I'm sorry for your loss, if that's what occasioned the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Scott from our email inbox. Uh, I'm sure I understand the use of interpretation of tongues, but when I read 1 Corinthians 14, 13, Therefore, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. It sounds as though Paul is saying that the person who speaks in tongues must also interpret his own tongue. I don't think that's what he means. Can you help me understand that? Yeah, I can, Scott. And, and the, the, the very fact that he said the one who speaks in tongues should pray that he may interpret indicates that uh, he, he's not going to be able, in all cases, to interpret uh, his, his prayer language. Um, I do not have the gift of interpretation. Uh, I do have the gift of tongues, but I've, I've never known exactly what I was saying. There were times when I felt very strongly that there was a, a, a direction that God was leading me. I knew, for example, when I was interceding for other people, even if I didn't know who the other people were, I knew there were times when I was engaging in spiritual warfare, uh, again, not knowing any details. Um, and there's been a time or two when I believe that I was praying, interceding for, for specific people. Uh, but I've prayed for the gift of interpretation, and frankly, God has not given it to me, and that means I don't need it. So um, would you say that the person who speaks in tongues must also interpret his own tongue? It's a good thing to pray for the gift, but that doesn't mean necessarily that God is going to give you the gift. So that's all it means. And uh, when you're exercising the gift of tongues uh, in your private prayer time, say, Lord, uh, I'd love to know what I'm praying about. I've said this probably a hundred times over the years. Just, Lord, I'd love to know what I'm praying about. That There was one time, Scott, when um, the Lord very specifically instructed me to use the gift of tongues. And, and I said, Lord, why? And he said, because... Excuse me, that was a cough break. Uh, he said, uh, because I want to say yes. And so I was praying in tongues, and believe me, I wanted to know what he was saying yes to, but I didn't. he didn't give me the interpretation. So I didn't know at all, Scott. So that's what that means. Uh, it's an it's a, a addition to the gift of tongues, and it's a good addition, but it's not something that's given to everybody. Here is Brian's question. Are white lies okay to spare someone's feelings? Brian, you can read your Bible. And when Jesus says the devil is the father of lies, the originator of lies, it's easy to conclude that it's never okay to lie. Now, when I say stuff like this, people say, well, what about Rahab? She lied. And she said, Hebrews chapter 11, um, she lied because her faith was weak. She's a brand new, what we would say is a brand new believer. All she did was believe that Israel's God was God. And she'd heard all the stories about what happened to the Egyptians and in the Exodus wilderness. So, uh, you know, we like to tell white lies 
but you know, there's times when you got to be honest and say, you know what, um, let's talk about somebody else. Somebody says, is my baby beautiful? You can say that's a baby if the baby's not beautiful. But but there's no reason to lie or exaggerate. Um, the ends do not justify the means. And every time we're lying, Jesus says that we are speaking the language of the devil. So it's not okay to lie, not ever. So... Um, just get used to being a truth teller, Brian. I think that's the easiest way. Sometimes people may think you're too direct or, oh, you're, that hurt my feelings. Explain to them, well, that wasn't my intent. And again, there are some questions or topics or conversations that you just want to avoid. So, Brian, I hope that helps. Hey, I did not say at the top of the program because I was struggling with my voice. Tonight we have our Bible studies, the women's Bible studies, the retreat reflection time, the last one. And then our men's and youth Bible studies will be at 7 o'clock as well. Ladies, you can watch at calvarysa.com. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show, 340-9585. Let's go to Jim from San Antonio on line one. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thanks, Pastor Ron, for setting this time aside and buying the air so we could ask questions. really appreciate your oh. your church's service in doing that. Our privilege. And, and I appreciate your respect in the Word. You know, I was thinking of uh, the transfiguration when the Lord said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to yeah. him. Well, you really do listen to him. Yeah, you respect Jesus and respect his Word. So I enjoy just listening to questions that you answered because I know you always respect what the Word says. Uh-huh. Thank you, Jim. That's a question. So it's not one that's I guess the real theology question, but just curious because an interaction that Jesus had with the, the Pharisee in Luke 14. He's invited to the house of a leader of the Pharisees, and so he ate. And they're trying to trip him up because they, they had this guy with dropsy, and they wanted to see if he would heal. And he said, yeah, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they kept silent. And so he, he helped them and taught them. But it was an interesting interaction at the, at the end of that experience where he, he said, I'm reading this verse 12 of chapter 14. So he, Jesus, went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, not invite your friends or your neighbors, your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. But when you give a reception, invite the poor to pull the blind lane, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So just want to wonder, he was just, Speaking generally, so I don't think he was promising this Pharisee unless he was saved. Now, think about the rewards that we get if we're saved. You know, about giving a cup of cool water to little one. God will will give us a reward. But do you think he was actually saying to that man that if he did give that kind of banquet, he'd be repaid at the resurrection righteous? Because I don't know if he was righteous. I'm just kind of (laughs) curious. He was saying generally to everybody, or was he saying to this man? who was a believer, maybe he wasn't being open about it. Yeah. Jim, he, he wasn't a believer. That I think that's pretty clear from the conversation. But, but Jesus was describing what the kingdom of God is. Now, this is one of my favorite topics because what Jesus is saying to this man and uh, what I say to, to our church all the time is that when you pray, when you're serving God, motive is everything. Motive is everything. So um, he's saying, when you give a lunch and dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. And, and the, the reason for doing that would be his motive was to get something from them. Now think about what that means to people who buy into the prosperity gospel, give to God, and God will give you more. And the people that are giving, expecting to get something back from God, well, they get nothing at all because their motive is all wrong for praying. 
their voting is selfish rather than selfless. And so what he's saying, now remember, this is a, 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 a religious Jew, and he's saying, uh, stretch your cords a little bit. When, when you give a banquet, go to people that you would never go to, people that cannot repay you, people that can do nothing for you, because my Father in heaven is watching, and you'll be paid back at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, obviously, to do that, Jim, he has to have faith. So Jesus is simply readjusting his motives and readjusting uh, his perspective on why he's doing something. Now, remember, Jews wanted nothing to do with sinners. They wanted nothing to do with the poor. Uh, they considered poverty a curse. The crippled, the lame, and the blind, they were also considered cursed by God. And Jesus is saying simply, remember, the gospel is good news for the poor. It's good news for the poor because God tells us to go out into the highways and the byways and get people that nobody else will do anything. And when we serve the Lord to get something back, then there's no reward in heaven. For those of us who are saved, Jim, there's no reward. You get your reward. If, if, if you get something back from somebody or if you do something so somebody will pat you on the back and say, oh, wow, you're really spiritual. That's the only reward that we're going to get. But if we do, Jesus also said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, keep your heart and your motive hidden so only God knows. And we don't have to know what anybody else thinks or what anybody else uh, uh, believes. We just simply say, Lord, um, this is somebody you love. And if this message, Jim, if this message were really believed by people, well, then it would change the world that we live in. It really would. But the problem is we don't. We always have our own motives, uh, our own desires um, at heart. And those are prayers, of course, that God can't answer. So that's what he's saying. Uh, now, one, one warning here, Jim. Whenever you're reading Jesus' exchanges with the Jews, um, we can't apply, a, are they saved or not saved? Remember, the rich young ruler came to Jesus, and he walked away sad. And he walked away sad because the one thing Jesus told him to do, he wasn't willing to do. So, was he almost saved? No. God always knew that that was his heart. And, of course, that's the reason he walked away sad. So, uh, here's what he's saying, you know, um, you think you're doing a good thing. I'm here at your banquet. And you think that's going to be a reward in and of itself. But um, you're doing this to get something from me, or you're doing this to get something from other people. So here's what you do instead. Do everything selflessly. And that way we can trust the Lord to repay our kindness. It's always difficult to explain this because there is a principle of reaping and sowing. We cannot outgive God. And so when we give selflessly, when we give from our hearts, when we give with the right motive, God will bless us. Whether it's gifts of the Spirit, uh, even money, uh, whatever it is, um, believe me, uh, God is gracious. You can't outgive God. But that can never be our motive for giving or for being kind for people. I tell people at our church, Jim, all the time in service, uh, serve because you're serving Jesus. There's no menial service for the Lord. I just was yesterday in our Bible study here at Calvary Chapel. It's talking about Stephen, and he's getting ready now to be um, um, stoned to death. He's going to be the first martyr of the church. Uh, but, um, you know, they're, they're lying about him. They're making false, creating false witnesses. And um, Jesus said, when you give, and you give selflessly, believe me, I'm going to be there. And Stephen, of course, um, received the greatest blessing of all. Uh, I told the church yesterday, I said, it may not sound like a blessing, the first word of the church, but he's the only man who ever saw Jesus stand up. The heavens were open. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father, welcoming him into the kingdom of God. And I said yesterday that there was a man in that crowd whose name was Saul of Tarsus. And because of Stephen's faithfulness, 
the Holy Spirit made it difficult for Saul of Tarsus, who would become the Apostle Paul. And Paul, of course, would be converted on the road to Damascus. And I said, you know, Stephen shares in every reward that Paul ever got. So I hope that makes sense to you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is our next question. Um, anonymous says, uh, this might be a little bit mature. If you got a kid in the car, you might want to turn the volume down for just a second. Uh, anonymous says, how much freedom is there for married couples in the bedroom? Are there some acts that God prohibits? We have enormous freedom in the bedroom, Anonymous. Um, the only act God prevents or, 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 or says is, is ungodly is sodomy. That's the only one. So you have the freedom beyond that. You have the freedom uh, to, to enjoy your wife or enjoy your husband. That's what he wants you to do. He wants the sex act to become uh, pleasurable. He wants it to be exciting and adventurous. I, I always tell the people that we're uh, doing pre-marriage counseling with, especially he wants your sexual relationship to be playful. But uh, you're free to enjoy one another. Read the Song of Solomon, and, and, and though it's poetic language, see what sexual acts are described in there. So uh, the only sex act between a husband and a wife that God prohibits is sodomy or anal sex. So Anonymous, I hope that answers your question. Okay, you can turn your radios back up now. Edward says, can a Christian be demon-possessed? Uh, Edward, the answer is no, it's impossible. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Um, when the Holy Spirit comes in us, we're sealed with the deposit, uh, guaranteeing our inheritance. That's Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And every teaching... Uh, every church that's teaching Christians can be demon-possessed and they have these deliverance ministries and everybody gets all excited. Those people are either not Christians and thus could be demon-possessed or they've just been lied to. And that's almost always the case, Edward. So Christians cannot be demon-possessed and anytime you're in church, and this is for everybody in this audience, if you're in a church or you're listening to a radio program on this station or, or other stations, and they're talking about casting out demons out of Christians, um, you know you're listening to a bad, a false teacher. So just run away. Just run away. Thank you, Edward. Here's a question from Vanessa. This is interesting, Vanessa. Uh, she says, It seems as though more pastors are plagiarizing from other pastors these days. Why do you think it's happening? And is it okay? Let me say at the beginning, it's not okay. I believe that God has a word for uh, every church. Um, and, and as we open the scriptures and study them, God's going to speak to the pastor. And then he's going to give the pastor the uh, the direction um, um, for his church. Um, you know, I, I did three services yesterday. And um, all three services were different. Why? There's different people. The Holy Spirit is giving different direction. Uh, same passage, same general idea, but different points of emphasis. So it's not okay. Now, why is it happening? Um, I think it's um, happening because of the Internet. I think there is a lot of pressure on pastors. Now, I'm not excusing it at all. This is a lack of faith and sin. Uh, I think there's a lot of pressure on pastors to be as good as or to have the same content as the uh, famous preachers that we hear on radio and TV and, and they're all over the Internet. And it's just easy to say, well, I, I could say that. and That's better than what I have. And I think they do it. But that is a lack of faith. It's um, something that it's stealing. It's not something that should be done. Vanessa, two quick stories. Um, John MacArthur one time said that he got a phone call from a, a lady. Uh, I think it was in Nebraska. And that lady said, you know, I always like listening to your program. But uh, I finally realized that you're stealing all of your material from my pastor. Because your messages are the same as his messages. And she was livid about it. 
John just said graciously, well, I'm sorry if I've disappointed you. He didn't defend himself or anything else. There's no point in doing that. But of course, because he's so prolific in terms of his uh, online ministry, um, that pastor was borrowing heavily from him. I had a pastor friend who called me one time and said, I'm in trouble. And I said, what happened? And he said, uh, I stole a sermon from somebody. I was out of time. I got really, really busy. And so I stole the sermon from, and he named the guy, his name, another Calvary Chapel pastor that I know. And he said, I, I just want to be sure uh, that, that I want to know how can I best explain to the people because somebody in his church uh, found that other sermon and it was word for word. And I said, well, you know, you steal a few ideas. We all do that. But he said, no, I just did the whole study, point by point, word for word from his commentary. And I told him he needs to repent and ask for mercy. It's the only thing he could do. He didn't. He didn't repent because he was afraid that if he acknowledged that people would chase him out. Well, God knew, and he was not in his church for another, in a year from that moment. Uh, his church had uh, already fired him and been somewhere else. So I just think it, it just shouldn't be happening. But there's pressure to be good. Um, Christians are listening to Bible studies all the time online now. Um, so that's the best answer I can give you, Vanessa. Christian says, I watched your live stream last Sunday when you had a guest pastor. Um, yeah, we had a guest pastor, Laura Cowan, who did our, our women's retreat. Uh, I invited her husband, John, uh, pastor of Calvary Chapel for many, many years. And he, uh, I, I invited him to teach on the Sunday uh, when they got back. Uh, I watched your live stream. Watched your live stream last Sunday when you had a guest pastor. He referred to you and Paula as Mama and Papa. Don't you think that's wrong? Being too familiar, you know, Christian. He was uh, stunned by it. He just said, "He said everybody calls you Mama Paula. No, nobody calls me Papa." Um, I've got some some younger people who did not have father figures or good father figures. And they treat me like I'm a dad and they're kids to me. But um, he just said, Mom and Papa, referring to me. So so that doesn't happen. But everybody in the church calls Paula Mama Paula. She's the church mom. And I'm thrilled that she is. I don't think it's wrong. The church is supposed to be a family. And because it's a family, that's the way families relate to one another. I think that's a strength here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I don't think it's too familiar at all. I want everybody here to know they can come to us with anything and everything because we want to help them grow in the Lord. So um, we had somebody who was in their 80s uh, refer to Paula as Mama Paula, and I thought, ooh, that's, that's weird. But uh, it's good because it's family. And Christian, we're all looking for family. We're all looking for family. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. So um, he made the reference to me as Papa. Uh, and I don't, again, I don't know that anybody calls me that um, when they're referring to me. I'm Pastor Ron to everybody in the church. But uh, I think that's, uh, that's the reason. Jesus, I almost said Jesus. Jesus says, how can I share with unbelievers? Excuse me again. How can I share with unbelievers when I don't know enough about the Bible or other religions people bring up? Jesus, this is the great thing about the Holy Spirit who now lives in you. Share with people what God has done for you. You're the world's foremost expert on you. You know who you were before Christ. You know who you are now. You've seen the hand of God move in your life. And because you've seen all of that, you can describe it to people. And then as you do that, then God will give you more and more discernment, more and more ability to understand. But but learning about our faith takes some time. I think sometimes we want to be experts, and, and we can't right away. So here's what you do. You share with unbelievers what he's done for you. 
And then you tell them this. Look, there are answers to every one of your questions. But I'm a very new believer, and I don't know all those answers. But if you come with me to church on Sunday, I'll introduce you to people that know the answers. So tell them your story. Remember the man that was born blind? And the, the religious leaders were pressuring him to, to share what happened, who did this. And he says, look, I don't know. All I know is once I was blind and now I see. They did that three times. And each of the three times, he had more information. Finally, he had really great discernment. He said, are you asking me this because you also want to believe in this man? And of course, that wasn't their point at all. But God will give you great power. Testimonies have great power. And so we need to share what we do know. And then, Jesus, you can be diligent in studying a workman, rightly dividing the Word of God, uh, and learn. But, but never be afraid to say, I don't know what the answer to the question is. It's much better than making it up. Just simply say, I don't know, but I'll find out. And then follow up with it. And in the process of finding out, you're going to be learning things over and over and over. And the Holy Spirit is going to be so blessed, so pleased, that it will be something that you'll do for the rest of your walk with the Lord. That's a wonderful question, Jesus. Andrew says, Exactly when will every knee bow and every tongue confess? And of course, that's confessing that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Um, that's going to happen on the Day of Judgment. Uh, for a believer, uh, it'll happen immediately when we go into the presence of the Lord. Uh, we will confess that He is the Lord, uh, the Son of God, who is God the Son. And when we make that confession, it will be the most glorious moment of our lives. We make that confession, there will be unmitigated joy. Um, and that happens at the Judgment. Now, Andrew, for unbelievers, that will happen um, at the end of the millennial reign of Christ on earth uh, when he is getting ready to cast unbelievers into the lake of fire. I want you to think about this. When they say Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is God, how terrifying that will be for them. Imagine how terrifying that will be because it means an eternity separated from God, weeping and gnashing of teeth forever and ever and ever, Jesus said. So that's when it's going to happen. For some of us who are believers, this can be a moment of great confession, the confession of victory. For others, it's going to be the confession of death. But they're going to be convinced, they're going to know beyond any doubt, you are who you said you were, and we rejected that. And because they rejected it, their confession will be um, the worst moment of their life and that moment will last forever and ever and ever. Thank you Andrew. I think I have time for one more here. Glenn says, is the Church of Christ orthodox in their doctrine? The Church of Christ is, a, is sort of a mixed bag, Glenn, um, because there are a lot of cults uh, that have spun off from the Church of Christ. But I think the Church of Christ, as we understand it here in South Texas, I think they're Orthodox in their doctrine, except in this one area of baptism. They believe in uh, salvational baptism, you're, uh, that you have to be baptized to get saved. And of course, that is not Orthodox at all. Um, um, but you know, there's going to be a lot of people in heaven who had doctrinal problems, doctrinal issues. So, um, it just depends on the Church of Christ branch. There is uh, a Church of Christ cult that operates at uh, primarily around uh, college campuses. Uh, and they're very, very cultic and cultish. Uh, and, and you should say completely away. Um, but for the most part, I think the Church of Christ, that we, we understand who they are, uh, the people in that church are wrong about baptismal salvation but they're believers and they're probably going to be in heaven if they really and truly do believe that Jesus is the Christ and died for their sins. So, last one. i got one time for one more. Uh, Russell, I've had this question recently. 
Russell said, How do you justify the position of senior pastor in today's church? God gives gifts of teaching to a lot of people, so why does a senior do most of the teaching? Russell, read your Bible. Um, God gives a lot of gifts. We have a lot of people that have gifts here. Uh, I'm going to be ordaining a, a man this Friday in a Friday service, and he's going to teach the passage of Scripture or that night. And, and uh, he's far better teacher than I am. Far better teacher than I am. But you see, I'm the one God chose for Calvary Chapel. So that's how I justify it. As you read through the scriptures, we're told to appoint elders. Elders, biblically, in the New Testament, were what we call pastors. Uh, appoint elders. The reason it's plural is because they were house churches in the first century. And there would be multiple house churches, so they'd have multiple pastors. But there's always a leader in the church, the shepherd. And our job is to lead them to Jesus. So um, you're right. God gives the gift of teaching to a lot of people. Uh, but I do most of the teaching because it's my job. I want to be faithful doing my job. I'm the one that God has chosen. For better or for worse, I'm the one that God has chosen at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. So uh, the position of a senior pastor, I don't like being called a senior pastor. Uh, it only it works because I'm a senior. But... Uh, I don't learn it over the other pastors here. They work for me. I love them, their family. But uh, there is a head pastor, biblically, for all of us in the church. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Thank you so much for putting up with my voice and this sneezing. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.